Hello, kindred spirits, and welcome to Modcast, the podcast of the Ella Montgomery Institute, broadcasting from the beautiful campus of the University of Prince Edward Island. We are so glad you've tuned in. This is Modcast Season 1, Episode 6. I'm your host, Dr. Brendan Dickerson. In our quest to discover cutting-edge scholarship about the life and works of Lucy Maud Montgomery and join imaginative readers throughout the world, we welcome to the microphone our special guest, Carolyn Strom Collins. Carolyn Strom Collins is an author and independent scholar. She's written and edited books and articles on Ellen Montgomery, as well as companion books on Laura Ingalls Wilder's Little House Books, Louise May Alcott's Little Women, and Frances Hodgins Burnett's The Secret Garden. She founded the Ellen Montgomery Literary Society, as well as the Friends of the Ellen Montgomery Institute. Carolyn's latest titles include Anne of Green Gables, the original manuscript, After Many Years, 21 Long Lost Stories by Ellen Montgomery, and an annotated bibliography of Ellen Montgomery's stories and poems. Carolyn, welcome to the Modcast. Thank you, Brenton. Nice to be with you. Mm, good. I'm so glad to have you here. I'm a bit of a fan uh, from the archival and editing things, and I love seeing resources go out into the community. And so uh, I've been uh, looking forward to talking to you for a few months now. So as Modcast listeners, uh, we are all avid readers, and we love to talk about the books that are not just on our desks, but also on our bedside tables. And so right now I'm rereading the the Chronicles of Avonlea, just as I'm finishing up the story girl, uh, my wife and I are listening to the audio of it together when we drive. And so those two books really kind of show Montgomery as a consummate short storyteller, really, which is part, part of, uh, part of your work uh, profile. What do you, what are you reading these days, Carolyn? Well, I always have a couple of Montgomery books on the go just uh, to stay refreshed on her work. And uh, I just finished an interesting book, by Trevor Noah, who's a television host that a lot of people know about, and it's called mm. Born a Crime. Terribly interesting book about his growing up years in South Africa. Mm. And um, I just finished Louise Penny's latest novel, All the Devils Are Here. Yes. And one thing that I find interesting in her books is she refers to Anna Green Gables or Ella Montgomery once in a while. And so it's always a nice little uplift to see that in her books. Yeah, that's always amazing when you find the you know books hidden in other books, right? Uh, exactly. I, I love, yeah, and of course Montgomery does this, but she tends to echo the characters. Mm -hmm. um, but I always like the kind of the the people that that put it kind of out there. Suzanne Collins has a new book um, which references Magician's Nephew, and Alexi Haros has the Ten Thousand Doors of January, and she sort of paces time a little bit by her girl growing up at the same time as the Montgomery book and books are coming out. Oh, interesting. Yeah, no, it's pretty cool. Actually. Yeah. yeah, no, that's a good. It's a it's a kind of a fantasy book, but uh, a gorgeous. It's really well written. Speaking of books and all this kind of thing, I know that uh, we're going to talk about your archival work. But before we get into that, I want to talk about some of the resources that you've helped create. And, and let's maybe start with the treasuries, because I know that they're on lots of bookshelves among listeners and, and readers throughout the world. So can you tell us a bit about that? You've actually did a, a series, I guess it is, um, of uh, Anna Green Gables treasuries that you've put out uh, with some partners. Can you tell us about those mm -hmm. projects? Well, my friend and co-author Christina Wiss Erickson and I began this 
and exploration back in the 1990s, and our first book together was The Anne of Green Gables Treasury. It was a companion book to all of the Anne series of books, and uh, we wanted to show a little bit more about her world and what, what Prince Edward Island was like in the 1800s, the late 1800s, when Anne was growing up. And uh, we had a floor plan of Green Gables, which we, we took meticulous measurements on when we were out there. And we even wanted to get down to the door hinges, what they looked like. <laughs> so we tried to be as authentic as possible. And we were very impressed with what Parks Canada had done with the house and the furnishings and so forth. Um, and then uh, we also wanted to give some recipes for things that she mentioned in the books um, and some crafts and things about the gardens. So just a, a wide ranging view of Anne's world. Mm-hmm. And then the next one we did was just uh, uh, Anne of Green Gables Christmas Treasury in which we wanted to show how she would have celebrated Christmas at Green Gables. And then the last one of the Anne Treasuries that we did was um, the Anne Treasury of Days, which gave a quotation for each day of the year uh, in a sort of a date book form. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they're brilliant. all really fun to work on. And we just kept getting more and more insight into Anne's world, Ella Montgomery's world. And um, that just led me to, to go much further with it over the years. So it's been yeah. a real joy. Well, it's sort of like... Um... <laughs> It's like go, going down a hallway where you don't know the destination, right? There's always more doors to go through. And and so you, uh, this is a, um, an interesting thing. I think my grandmother had a copy of the treasury, uh, the first treasury. And although she she always was bothered by Montgomery because she called it P.E. Island. she could, My grandmother could never get over uh, that. Oh, she really? Grew, yeah, we, she grew up uh, just, just uh, south of Montgomery, was born... Um, Oh. Uh, within a decade of when Montgomery had moved out uh, to Ontario. But what was interesting, I lived in Japan for a couple of years, and one of my students brought the English version. I don't know if it's in Japanese translation, but the English mm-hmm. version. Is, yeah, yeah mm-hmm. the English brought the English version of the Treasury to class one day to kind of talk about it. And I just didn't know. I didn't know enough, really. But I was able to say, well, yeah, actually, that's, you know, I've... You know, I've uh, spoken in Montgomery's church, and and I, I know her her land well. You know, um, yeah. as a neighbor. So yeah, so I I think it was uh, they were just so pleased to kind of have a resource for reading to deepen mm-hmm. uh, their experience, which it's pretty foreign, right? The world that Anne describes is kind of magical, even though it's normal to maybe us in our imagination. Is that a mm-hmm. fair way of putting it? Mm-hmm. I think that's a good insight. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No. So it's. Uh, I think those resources are great, and I think uh, you're. You see, you talk about your interest growing, and then you. Sorry. Did you did you create the Ella Montgomery Literary Society? Can you tell us about that? Because it sounds like something that should have been here forever, right? Um, <laughs> well, it almost has been. It's been thirty years. <laughs> okay. Well, thirty years is pretty good. I guess yeah, that's part of the Montgomery too. story. But yeah, tell us a little yeah. bit about that and and some okay. of the things you guys. Well, when Christina and I first uh, came out with the first Anne Treasury, we realized that there were quite a few people who were interested in Ellen Montgomery, just in our um, immediate vicinity in Minnesota. So we just put out a little notice um, in a few bookstores and so forth to um, come and have a meeting. And we met in the Curlin Collection of Children's Literature at the University of Minnesota. Mm that first time, and we had about a dozen people, and many of those people have remained with us all through these 30 years of our 
get-togethers. So that was very exciting to find this little community of um, of fans of Ella Montgomery and Anne of Green Gables, of course. And then we decided we would start a newsletter, uh, which we did right right at that time. And that has grown to over 7,000 subscribers online. Wow. So we're uh, able to reach people internationally and um, just every every corner of the globe that's with amazing. Ella Montgomery material. Yeah, that's amazing. I think I have 12 people that sign up for my my monthly letter. So yeah, no, I think that's <laughs> so 7,000 subscribers. That's incredible. And then uh, for for listeners, we we've what we've done in the show notes on Podbean and then uh, ultimately on our website, we'll, there'll be links to the Ella Montgomery Literary uh, society, uh, various things, uh, Facebook, Twitter, and the, and the main Instagram and the main website, which mm-hmm. has, by the way, like years of resources, right? Oh yeah. We, we yeah. put a lot in there. Yeah. No, if you want I'm to find something out, to. yeah, you may, you may find it there. Um, and, I hope yeah. so. Yeah, Our next no, one will be out, um, later this month. Yeah, brilliant, excellent. So, so uh, check that out. And certainly, during we're recording this for future listeners in near the end of 2020, and this mm-hmm. has been a year where we've been rethinking the way that we connect digitally. And so, I mm-hmm. think uh, this would be a good way to kind of deepen that reading. Mm-hmm. So, um, now more recently, so still, still, like, we're still in that kind of resource realm uh, for researchers, fans, readers. So, tell us about this guide to Montgomery's story and poem scrapbooks, right? Mm-hmm. Because this is a project which uh, is just so visually stimulating, and we're almost going to have to suggest people go to the resource because it's so visual. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. Well, um, Montgomery kept twelve scrapbooks of. of her published stories and poems through the years, beginning in 1890, I believe it was, and um, going through 1940. Hmm. So um, quite a few, a few hundred stories and a few hundred poems. And Rhea Wilmshurst sort of discovered them in the birthplace one year back when she was visiting Prince Edward Island. And she, she was so excited to find that there was, there were all these stories and poems that she had never known about and nobody else had either really. so she got permission to um, transcribe the stories and so forth. And she um, made up a bibliography, which appeared in the 1986 preliminary bibliography um, that was put out from the University of Waterloo. And um, I started to get interested in the stories and poems, too. Of course, Rhea died in the 1990s, I believe. And so she was unable to complete her, her work. But Several researcher, other researchers and I began to find some of these missing stories that she had not been able to identify, but knew about because Ellen Montgomery kept a ledger list of all of the stories and what she was paid for them. Mm-hmm. So between those uh, resources, we sort of put together a list and um, we began finding more and more stories hidden away in uh, magazines and newspapers. And we began compiling a list of those. Um, and finally, it came out as an annotated bibliography of her stories and poems. But back to the scrapbooks, I felt like they needed an index, a table of contents. Right. So I just compiled that, and it's in a little booklet available from UPEI yeah, uh, in sure. their press. And I love the uh, the subtitle. You need a like a a strong subtitle for a good book, don't you think? Is this the full subtitle? Stories and poems published in periodicals and preserved by the 
Ellen Montgomery and 12 Strap Books. Is that the subtitle? Yeah, that's it. That's it. Yeah, <laughs> Kinder Spaces <laughs> has sort of carried on some of that work. Um, mm -hmm. But it's, it's, it's actually really, it's really kind of amazing the way that she curated you know her career right you know the absolutely you know and because if you read and i i, I do read and many readers uh, read through the journals and you would hardly know after Anne came out that she was a short story writer except for kind of the mm -hmm. big events right well that's true she didn't write about about those titles in her journals she did um mention them in some of her letters that we yeah, yeah. found the uh, Weber letters and the Macmillan letters she would write because they were all interested in publishing and so she would tell them what she had published but not a complete listing no um, and we don't at all. And I love the resource because um, and it, it, it's probably too unruly just just yet to have like a complete, but we don't have a complete poems, right? We don't have a critical edition of the collected poems. We don't have, uh, you know, the critical, you know, 500 plus short stories. You mm -hmm. know? So uh, to, to be able to point people in the right direction uh, and uh, as you, I think you said in the preface to um, the we're going to talk about this after many years, right? Ray Wilmhurst, you know, put out, I can't remember, was it a dozen volumes or was it nine volumes? I think there were eight. Eight volumes, yeah. So eight yes. volumes of, of stories, you mm -hmm. know, and that doesn't, you know, that only covers, you know, a third or thereabouts of the stories, right? So, so yeah, and and of course I'm I'm making kind of an awkward transition to uh, to to another book that I love, which is your After Many Years. Can you tell us about this work with Montgomery Short Stories? Yeah. Oh sure, it was a it was a happy event. Um, as we as this team of researchers and I were looking for stories and finding new ones, and also uh, references to known stories that we hadn't known before, um, printings of a lot of the stories in magazines and newspapers. So we wanted to keep a record of that. But as we found these new stories, and they grew, and we found a couple of dozen almost. And uh, we thought it'd be interesting to compile them into a, a volume. And unlike Reyes, which are themed collections um, at the altar featuring romances and akin to Anne, which is uh, stories of orphans and so forth. Uh, this book is a chronological listing. And so we start with the earliest one, which is The Chiver's Light. And uh, we follow along up until I think the last one was in 19... 36 or so. So mm. it, it shows, it's not a themed book, but it shows, uh, gives you an idea of Ella Montgomery's writing uh, development through the years. Um, mm. So you can see what she was, she was writing about in the early years. And then as she moved along, she got into a little bit more of an adult theme. So that was kind of fun to put together. Yeah, no, and I think that's true. And also kind of a move, you know, from sort of Sunday school stories. Mm-hmm. You know, all outward. So not not replacing that necessarily, but moving out. Um, so when you say adult themes, but there's also kind of more play. I think a, a little bit more play. Um, you know, you know when she can write where she wants to write. There's a bit mm -hmm. more. Although as I, as I've already noted, the in the Chronicles and the Story Girl, there's some pr pretty brilliant um, uh, short stories that are still still have that kind of home hominess uh, to it, right? Oh sure, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> 
so for for readers that are kind of picking up short stories, what is there one within that after many years that you think is kind of particularly interesting, or odd, alluring, something that would grab uh, readers and and get them get them started? Yeah. Well, I would have to say that um, it would be our neighbors at the Tansy Patch. Okay. It's completely different from almost any other. <laughs> Ella Montgomery's story. It's wild. It's wacky. It's funny. It's sarcastic. <laughs> it's, it's just it's just so fun because it's a, a very eccentric family living next to a very traditional sort of family, mm-hmm. and all of the things that the eccentric family gets up to, especially the old granny who's always shouting at cars that pass by. Of course, cars in that time were fairly rare um, <laughs> um, and she would just get incensed that there would be cars coming down her the lane uh, in front of the house and she would shout at them and, and throw things at them <laughs> yeah brilliant yeah it's kind of it actually kind of reminds me of anyway it's just a fun story the, the one of the, my favorites yeah yeah it kind of reminds me of like a um like a tv movie or something the way the two neighbors are set side by side and then antics ensue mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. All right. So we're we're about to uh, we're we're going to dive into the the man, the Anna Green Gables manuscript conversation. But before we do that, are you are you up for a flash round? Are you, you up for this? Oh, I'll Good. try it. <laughs> yeah, we'll try it. We'll try it. This is totally unscripted. Uh, Carolyn doesn't know what the questions necessarily are. Uh, I'm calling these sort of the flash round. Uh, you know, just for obvious Montgomery connected reasons, or or some questions from Captain Jim's parlor. But we're not going to get into the later night Captain Jim questions about, you know, all, all the 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 thinking about the world as he as he gets into. So so some mm-hmm. quick quick questions. Want you to answer quickly. You don't have to think too much about them. And so there's no there's no wrong answer. There's probably no right answer for many of these. But let, let's give this a go. All right. Okay. Okay. Carolyn, uh, coffee or tea? Tea. Raspberry cordial or red currant wine? Oh, that's a dangerous question. But <laughs> <laughs> I make my own raspberry cordial, and uh, I, yeah. I do enjoy it. But then the red currant wine certainly has a, a place, I yeah. would say, after 4.30 in the afternoon. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So, <laughs> so we'll, we'll do a, a late night kind of podcast. We'll smoothen out our voices just a little bit. All right. Uh, so, and medicinal purposes only, uh, of course, as a good oh, Presbyterian yeah. cupboard would uh, would <laughs> attest to. Yeah. Uh, October or April? April. Mm, good. For yeah. me. Yeah. So if you had, if you could pick one, what non-traditional pet would you have? Well, non-traditional. Hmm. Well, let's say a turtle. A turtle. <laughs> okay, that's a non-traditional. Yeah, that's 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 true. I actually don't know. I don't know many turtles, so I can't even. I can't. I can barely. Con- I'm new to the pet thing. I have a. I have a cat who's sitting here watching, seeing what I'm doing. So we'll see how that goes. It's a new, new okay. cat. Well, the turtle uh, doesn't have to be walked. It's not too particular about its food. You know, it's very yeah. easy to pet. I'm sure. Yeah. Well, in walking a turtle, I think would be quite a commitment, wouldn't it? <laughs> I think so. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, so, so choose choose one of these: a day at the beach, a walk in the woods. Or an afternoon in the archive. Oh my! Well, I would never uh, turn down a walk on the beach, okay. especially at Prince Edward Island Beach. Yeah, yeah, it's a bit brisk at this moment of the year. 
I'm sure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it is. Yeah. In the summertime, when I'm usually there, it's it's beautiful. Well, you should. If you're ever here in the non-summer, the the sunrise is on the North Shore, like in Cavendish area. Mm. It has this kind of steely gray, like the air looks frozen uh, oh. as, as the sun rises. Yeah, it's pretty neat. It's pretty neat. Oh, uh, take, take a blanket for sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, so choose, choose this. What character from fiction would you like to host for tea? Character from fiction. Well, I guess I would just have to go with Anne, Anne Shirley. I think she would be a delightful guest. Yeah. And uh, I think she would have lots of topics to discuss, a yeah. wide range of topics. I think we'd have a very lively conversation. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Okay. Now, accepting, uh, yeah, and of course, I guess if, if we asked what character would you have for a sip of red currant wine, that might be a different answer, right? So. Yeah, probably. <laughs> probably. Now, if if thinking, you have to leave your own books aside for this question, mm -hmm. but what do you think is kind of one of the more important uh, uh, books or pieces uh, for Montgomery studies in the last uh, couple of generations, which is really the whole field, I suppose? I would have to say um, the books by Dr. Elizabeth Epperly have been very informative and instructive, lots of information. I especially enjoyed her um, book on Ella Montgomery's Island scrapbooks. Uh, they were uh, That was very uh, interesting and informative. And you can see so many connections between Ella Montgomery's personal life and the life she put into her books yeah. for her characters. Yeah. Um, also, the journals, of course, mm -hmm. the, the Mary Rubio and Elizabeth Waterston edited. Uh, they're just invaluable. Yeah, which is, I mean, more than three decades of work. Absolutely. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah, good stuff. Now, you can take a little longer to think about this. And in this one, we're sort of asking of, of uh, the scholars just to kind of, as a way of peeking into the future of what could be there. So if you had like a super large grant, but you couldn't keep it yourself, uh, what do you think, uh, you have to give it away for Montgomery Studies, what, what, what do you think needs to be done? What would you, what would you like to see somebody tackle? Well, there are a good many manuscripts in the archives at Confederation Center in Charlottetown, mm. in addition to the Anne manuscript. <clears throat> and I would like to see those transcribed and mm. um, see how they, how she developed those characters and plots. Mm -hmm. And um, I've gone through some of them, but I haven't begun to go through all of them. But it's just, it's fascinating to see the difference in the different manuscripts that I've been able to see yeah no that's Terms great her handwriting and and the kind of paper she wrote on and the kind of additions she made and so forth and so on well i think that's a perfect transition back into the conversation to talk about um the anne of green gables original manuscript mm -hmm. which uh, you edited uh and published fairly recently and uh, i have an autographed copy i don't know why my copy's autographed oh. but uh, oh, wow. but there it is it's not actually autographed by montgomery it's autographed by <laughs> my, my guest here carolyn strong collins and so I was I like I read this this summer. It was how I wanted to read um, Anne of Green Gables this summer while uh, camping, and and I kept kind of reading things out loud to my wife and saying, "Look, look, this was added in." And <laughs> and so so uh, so tell us uh, we for, for those that are curious about this. I think this is uh -huh. a beautiful way to reread 
the story, to close read the story for those that are really trying to press in, mm -hmm. as well as to kind of get a hint into Montgomery's mind. It's not just a photocopy of her handwritten manuscript, right? So tell us a little bit about what people will discover when they pick up the book. Well, let me just start um, with another book called um, Rilla of Ingleside, which yeah. Elizabeth Waterston and her granddaughter, Kate, uh, found in the archives in Guelph, and they transcribed it and showed the additions and deletions and scratch outs and and notes uh, for that. And I thought I saw one of the first copies, and I thought, bingo, this needs to be done for Anne of Green Gables too. So I got out to Prince Edward Island into the archives at Confederation Center and got permission to photograph every page of the Anne manuscript. And then I, that took me a, about nine hours, I believe it was. Um, and, and then it's, I. It's actually like, it's sort of, people don't understand, like, it's, mm -hmm. to do this photography, it's actually quite physically taxing. You know, for because, me. Yeah. yeah, yeah, for that's what I mean, not just for the book, but for you, the mm -hmm. way that you have to stand to take the picture and you know, each page and and uh, each spread and making sure you don't miss anything and writing notes. It's actually, you know, nine hours is not a bad day, it's that's a pretty, it's a pretty hard job, yeah. Well, but it was, it was a joyful job, mm -hmm. and it, um, I was surprised it went that quickly actually because they're well over 800 pages to photograph and um, transcribed it, which took about two years to do all of that. And then Nimbus Publishing in Halifax published it in 2019. Mm. So it's just been out uh, a little over a year. Mm. Yeah, brilliant. It, was a joy, it was just a joy to do because even though Ellen Montgomery's handwriting is a bit difficult at times, um, still was able to manage the transcription. And it was so interesting to see her notes, the notes she added, and see what she struck out, see what she added to, uh, how she rephrased some things. Um, yeah. And I just thought it would be interesting for people who love Anne of Green Gables to see more of it in the original and to see how she created it and shaped it to become the classic that it has become. Yeah. And so for for people, so a couple of sort of background bits, you pick up this book and what you get with each chapter is a photocopy, a picture of the first page usually that matches mm -hmm. the, the chapter. And then uh, so there's the holographic bit for that. And then the rest is the typescript, not of like the first edition, which I know that there's been, I think, a corrected first edition um, or maybe that was of another book. But but there's a you know, there's a Norton uh, critical edition that's been put out mm -hmm. and and, but of the, the manuscript itself. So we don't have to do the work of fighting because Montgomery's handwriting is a little difficult uh, to read. <laughs> it is sometimes. Uh, she was a fast writer. And also, you know, she was writing with a pen that had to be dipped in ink every few lines. And yes. so, uh, you know, you have to think about how um, how challenging that might have been. Although she was used to it, we would find it very difficult, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. Um, but it, it does affect the way things look on the page. And, and sometimes the pages are very clear. So she thought it out in advance and just wrote it right down. And then other times the pages have lots of strikeouts, lots of little add a, a word here and there, and uh, then complete notes that she added in separately. 
so in the reader's edition you created, which I love partly because now there's like all this margin space so that we can write notes of our own. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, so that's, but no, some pages are full, full to the brim all the way around. But for the most, especially sort of two or three chapters near the end of the chapter, right? There's, uh, she's struggling to finish things up. Mm -hmm. But there are a few of your notes, although you've shown a lot of critical restraint here, because I'm sure you would want to comment quite often. But it's a few clarification notes about mm -hmm. choices, few sort of grammatical choices that are made for the text. Mm -hmm. But then there are, uh, Montgomery herself had all those manuscript pages, but mm -hmm. then she also made notes to insert into the into this draft. Is that right? Exactly. She had a yeah. stack of paper in which she wrote her, let's call it her draft. Yeah. And then she had another stack of pages on which she would write notes that she wanted to add in later and we don't know whether she did that right as she was writing first draft or whether she went back and wrote it but it looks like she was doing it simultaneously in most cases oh interesting. Me, anyway yeah or, or um, at least not long after is what you're thinking mm -hmm. yeah right and one reason we know that or we can surmise that is she started writing the manuscript on the backs of pages of stories that she had already written and published yeah. Yeah, and the first uh, 230 or 40 pages of the manuscript are written on the backs of stories. Yes, yeah. And then the first 50 or so pages of the notes are also written on the backs of stories. Right. So that seems to indicate that she was doing the notes at the same time as she was writing the draft. Oh, interesting. And I suppose you could, you could even maybe even check using sort of a digital system, you know, check and see if those pages ever match up, which would be mm -hmm. really demonstrative proof. It does, in a sense, it's still, even if you're next day going back through your previous material and mm -hmm. then adding a note in here, there's still an editorial process, right? Right. But, uh, but yeah, this always amazes me about archival work. I was uh, in the Bodleian in Oxford and oh. I flip over a page in the middle of an essay and there's a line, scratch out line from Narnia um, yeah, and there's not many of those. They all went into the fire at various points, uh, almost all of them. Uh, but but this is in the middle of an essay because they were just so people from the particularly the war generations were just so um, conscious of not using extra paper, mm -hmm. you know, that they used and reused everything. So pr pretty much the whole manuscript is on recycled paper, right? Yes, up until about. Well, about 300 pages, give or take, okay, yeah. are on the backs of previously written material pages. But she writes on both sides. That's right. Yeah. So previously loved paper. Uh, <laughs> that's right. But that also <laughs> that all, would also make holographic work, photo, photographing challenging because of the bleed through. The pens would bleed mm -hmm. through with a, a new dip, I suppose. It would be a little darker and the bleed through. Is that, that, sure. I At times, they, yeah. they do bleed through. The paper is much thinner than the kind of paper we are used to yeah, now that's right yeah no that that's that's kind of i know i know we're kind of deep in the nerd stuff <laughs> the archival stuff but isn't isn't it didn't don't you love the sort of the textural reality of it having that old paper in front of you the old ink you know the handwriting mm -hmm. the scent of um storage or whatever it is right you know? oh yeah it's yeah. it's just one of those little thrills oh, that's <laughs> pleased about yeah that's so beautiful and so is this the you know this is a terrible question because you because i know where this is going to go but is this the hatbox manuscript so is this the manuscript <laughs> that she put away and then dug out 
and then typed up and sent back out uh, after some disappointments? I would say so. Okay. Uh, of course, we may not know for sure, but mm-hmm. she had to type the manuscript, mm-hmm. which she did before she sent it out to any publisher. Um, and that may be the hat box. So they may have both been in the hat box sure, together. Yeah. It could be a big hat <laughs> box, right? <laughs> Hats for something. Well, the manuscript's big. only about two and a half inches high. Oh, right. When you stack yeah. it together. Okay. Well, there you um, go. And I don't know about the TypeScript. The TypeScript has been lost. Um, okay. She sent it to four publishers and was rejected four times. That's when she put it in the hat box mm-hmm. and uh, went back to a few weeks or months later and decided to try another, which she did, and sent it to Elsie Page in Boston. Mm-hmm. And she would have sent him the um, the TypeScript. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that became part of their files. And when when they went out of business or were sold, I'm sure those files are just uh, just lost. Yeah, don't just, have the TypeScript. Yeah, no, it's 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 terrible. I mean, how many how much historical information has been lost uh, by publishers? You know, that, mm-hmm. um, uh, just say, like even correspondence and things. We would uh, should we should have a a TypeScript with her annotations or additions and you know things like that. And we don't, right? Yeah, so. it would be interesting. Yeah, We're glad we, we have what we have because well, she was just it, such a good record keeper. Yeah, and I'm just really glad that with that, I think she had a terrible typewriter, right? So I, I, I think I'm, we'd find it pretty difficult. Yeah, that's right. And so I'm, I think I'm, I'm glad that she actually took the time to send that professional manuscript out, the TypeScript, mm-hmm. because that means that we she still had the hatbox piece right exactly yeah. yeah so then do you have the sense though that the, do you have the sense that this is a fresh from mind first draft or do you have the sense that this is a, 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 a an active fair copy so that she's actively write, writing and rewriting as she she writes this out do you, were you able to discern that from the manuscript well i wasn't and um i felt like Parts of it may have been written, rewritten. Maybe some of the pages were rewritten to give a cleaner look. But um, the way she inserted the notes and changes make me think that this was pretty much a first copy mm. um, because she didn't go back and and rewrite things um, to insert the notes in her own handwriting. She kept those separately. So I feel like it's a pretty pretty early copy probably the first draft yeah yeah and she may have uh worked out a scene or two here or there but um Mm -hmm. but but yeah okay well that's that's what i got from reading but of course i'm not uh, dealing with the the original and i don't know exactly what how exactly how we test that in any case right yeah i'm not sure either but uh, going by the pages that she wrote on the backs of stories and so forth I think if she were writing a second, third, or third draft, she would have used clean pages. Yeah, no, that's actually that's a good point. Particularly if she intended people to see that, but I don't think anyone saw it, right? I don't think this was she didn't show this to anyone. I don't know uh, if she did or not, but she kept it with her all of her life. Yeah. So that's it, and and 
many of her other manuscripts as well. Yeah. Well, no, this is, this is a special one. And, uh, and of course, Elsie Page for whatever else they were to work with, uh, did, did make beautiful books. So we actually have some first editions that still exist in the world that didn't mm -hmm. fall mm -hmm. to pieces after a few years. Right. So, uh, right. that's really neat. Okay. <laughs> well, well, let's, 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 um, uh, th I, I don't want to t tax too much of your time. Uh, listeners of course will be thrilled, particularly for those that are interested in this, you know, where, where should someone start? If somebody wants to, if they would like to do this, they, they, they love history. They love the literature. They, uh, there's lots of resources that need to kind of move to the public within Montgomery's world. Where, where, where should they start? You know, um, uh, do you have any advice for them from your own experience? Cause now you've done, you know, uh, editorial work and you've done indexing and bibliographic work. And you've also done this, the collection, the anthologizing, and now the manuscript publication. So that's a pretty broad range. What would you, what advice would you give to uh, up and coming researchers in this field? The wonderful thing about studying Montgomery is it is just endless because she leads you down so many different paths, the history, geography, um, customs, world war. <laughs> it just goes on and on. It just never seems to end. We keep finding fresh material to work with. And I think it depends on a person's interest in a certain topic. Um, I'd like to see, as I said, more of the original manuscripts looked at and studied um, in more detail. So that would be one place someone might want to start. Ben Lefebvre in uh, Ontario is putting together um, collections of her stories and poems. So I hope those will be available soon um, because we it would be nice to have all of that material available publicly. Only yeah. Two or three hundred stories have been published, republished since yeah. their original publication. So, not many people can um, have a look at those. They're in the scrapbooks, many of them. But um, it would be nice to to see that and then have some work done on those stories. Some extra bibliographic yeah. work, extra um, analysis, and that kind of thing. So, there's plenty out there for anybody that wants to tackle it. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. Okay, good. So, and I would encourage people to talk to resource librarians, archivists, um, because they're they just they're just brilliant to work with, and and just know so much, and and end up being sort of the superheroes of the mm -hmm. stacks world, right? So, absolutely. Yeah, there you <laughs> what go. What would we do without them? Yeah, exactly. Oh no, I I mean I I love visiting the. Uh, although I got in trouble at the Bodleian because my face was too close to the manuscript, but I oh. thought I could. I thought I could smell pipe tobacco, and <laughs> I, was asked, I was asked very politely in a very British kind of manner to move my face away from the manuscript. Oh, I see. Well, I think that's, I think that's fair enough, right? So fair they're enough. They're on the alert. <laughs> All right. Well, Caroline, you're such a resourceful and resourcing uh, researcher and editor. So, what, what's what's coming up? What are you thinking about for the future? Well, the call for papers just came out for the 2022 mm -hmm. conference. Um, it's called Ellen Montgomery and Revision. So mm -hmm. I've started trying to gather some thoughts about that, see if I'm up for another presentation. Mm -hmm. um, after that, I'm, I'm not sure. I'll find something. But my, <laughs> my presentation on the manuscript for the 2020 conference should soon be online. And um, I'll show some slides of the different pages. And uh, so people can get even a better idea of what the manuscript was like and 
and how Montgomery shaped shaped yeah. her classic Anne of Green Gables. Yes, yes, and we sort of timed this conversation, you know, in the fortuities of time, I suppose. But like, uh, so that there is some connection in December 2020 between uh, Carolyn will have a, I guess, a video presentation that will be connected with the. 2020 Vision Conference online forum with mm -hmm. the Ellen Montgomery Institute. Um, and so there'll be some, this will be a good companion to that. And so I would encourage uh, folks to go find that, to pick up uh, this manuscript uh, version of Anne of Green Gables, if, if, the, if that's certainly something that you love. And um, and then uh, to check out the, the treasuries and things. Oh, I just wanted to add that um, people may have noticed that Confederation Center uh, we'll be digitizing the original manuscript, mm. and um, it should be ready to view online all of the pages in 2022. Oh, brilliant. So uh, for people that want to go through all the handwritten parts to see it, that's that'll be great. Um, but if they want to have a little easier time of it, then, as you say, <laughs> this uh, printed version will make it a little bit easier. Yeah. Well, one thing I love about the 21st century, right? You know, you think of the, like the British Library digital editions and everything, right? And so I, I'm mm. so pleased to hear that this this is coming about. So, well, excellent. Well, thank you, Carolyn, for for joining us today. Well, thank you. I did enjoy it. It's nice to talk to you. Excellent. Brilliant. So as always, folks, uh, you can check out the work of L the Ellen Montgomery Institute at ellenmontgomery.ca. It includes interactive features, guest blogs, and news about the upcoming conference for 2022. Now, I know it seems early. This is 2020, and, and we're still trying <laughs> to recover from the conference that hasn't really even happened and, and, and had to go online. And Well, actually, uh, the, the Ellen Montgomery Institute conference is a, a, a fully rigorous conference. Uh, conference and invites papers from across the globe for August of 2021. So you really do want to be thinking about that soon. Uh, artists and, and scholars, uh, so make sure you get in there and there's a uh, student paper program and all kinds of things. So so check out the website for that. There's also the newest materials that are coming out uh, pr pretty frequently from the Journal of Ellen Montgomery Studies, uh, digital resources, and of course, Kindred Bases, which we already talked about here um, on this podcast. So if you enjoyed the Modcast and you'd like others to enjoy it as well, please share it on social media. Give us a rating. Uh, it really helps to spread the news about the Modcast and the Institute's work. And it helps us get the word out about these researchers, the new initiatives, and things like this. So I'm your host, Brenton Dickison, and I'm here with technical director, Christy McKinney, in the background. And until next time, I would encourage you to remember Anne's grand declaration near the end of Anna Green Gables. Dear old world, you are very lovely, and I am glad to be alive in you. Farewell. Farewell.